0: Welcome to Misty 101 Podcast We hope that you enjoy this episode of our podcast. Vladimir Putin won't be too happy with name of daughter's boyfriend. As Vladimir Putin's forces suffer humiliating setbacks in Ukraine, the name of his daughter's boyfriend might rub salt in the wounds. Katerina Tikhonova, 35 is in a relationship with Russian ballet dancer Igor Zelensky, a new investigation has revealed. Sanctions against her have stopped her flying from Moscow to Munich to be with her man, who has the same surname as Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky. Her partner, with whom she has a two-year-old daughter, is a leading dancer and more recently a top director who until recently led the Bavarian State Ballet. The revelation comes from an investigation by Russian independent news outlet iStories and Germany's Der Spiegel. Previously Tikhonova, an acrobatic dancer turned scientist and businesswoman, was wed to Russia's youngest billionaire Kirill Shamalov, 40. They split around 2017 when she started a relationship with Zelensky, 52 who was married with two daughters and a son to choreographer Yanisari Bryakova. Putin has raged against Russians who live their lives in the West yet his own daughter was making frequent trips to Munich with full state support and security to spend time with her partner. Until the invasion of Ukraine was launched earlier this year, it appears she was living with him in Germany. For two years. From 2017 to 2019, the little girl's mother had to fly this route, from Moscow to Munich and back, many dozens of Times' iStories report said. The journalistic investigation found documents proving flights involving Tikhonova, Zelensky, a child, nannies, security guards. It revealed that over a two-year period she flew to Munich more than 50 times to be with Zelensky. He is known as one of Russia's most successful ballet dancers staring in St. Petersburg's Muratinsky Theatre and the New York City Ballet Company. He was also a guest soloist in London's Royal Ballet. An anonymous source provided documents emails and passport details from Putin's security service and Tikhonova's personal security guard Alexei Skripczyk, who was said to have bought the family plane tickets. Zelensky, who is Russian-born with Georgian roots, is not believed to be related to the Ukrainian president. He quit the Bavarian State Ballet last month, apparently after refusing to condemn Putin's bloody war in Ukraine. When asked about his former head, a source at the company told Der Spiegel immediately replied that Zielinski was most likely the partner of Putin's daughter. By the end of 2019, Tikhonova apparently got tired of constantly flying to Munich and decided to move in with her boyfriend, the report says. This appears to be indicated by a letter stored in an archive of Scripschuk, investigators add. In 2016, before assuming his post in Munich, and prior to his relationship with Putin's daughter, Zelensky commented on the fallout of Russia's annexation of Crimea. I am not a politician, but they should sit down at the same table and calm down. Art will save the world, he said. There have been long rumors that he had high-level patrons in Moscow but today's revelation is the first time he has been linked with Putin's family. In March, after launching his invasion of Ukraine, the Russian president hit out at his countrymen who enjoyed life in the West. I do not condemn those who have a villa in Miami or on the French Riviera, who cannot do without foie gras, oysters or so-called gender freedoms he said. The problem is absolutely not in this but in the fact that many of these people, by their very nature, are mentally there, not here, not with our people, not with Russia. The managing director of the Bavarian state opera Serge Dorney told Russian pranksters Vovan and Lexus that Zelensky's departure from his German ballet was linked to the war. Evidently thinking he was speaking to Ukraine's culture minister, he said, we talked with him several times and I made him come to the conclusion that he should leave. He did not make this decision on his own. We had a conversation with him, and I brought him to this conclusion. Man dumped by girlfriend, barred from Weatherspoons and banned from TikTok after £2,000 food chaos. TikTok star Tom Birchie has shared that he was dumped and temporarily banned from social media after chaos at Weatherspoons. The social media star, who dubs himself the King of Leeds, recently went viral for sharing that he managed to get £2,000 of food and drink for free at the Golden Beam in Headingley, but much of it never came. The 23-year-old told his followers which table he was sitting at while out with his friends which saw a surge in orders, but Tom said Weatherspoon's staff members couldn't meet the demand of the orders. He branded staff scamming after they said they would not refund those who ordered items which never got served. Tom, who used to work in the Wetherspoons in Leeds train station, said he was subsequently barred from the Headingley branch. What's more after the incident, Birch's TikTok account was banned deleted and he was removed from Leeds student group on Facebook. Adding insult to injury. A few days later when he was allowed back on the app, he also informed followers that he was dumped by his girlfriend. It is tough to take lads but there are plenty more worldies in the sea," Tom added. The TikTok star, who posts multiple videos a day recently updated his 170,000 followers that they would now be getting a refund if they bought him food or drink at Weatherspoons. He said. Remember when I got barred from the Weatherspoons in Leeds for getting thousands of pounds worth of drinks for free to my table and they never brought them? Everyone kicked off at me for flagging off the staff for not giving refunds to the people who bought me the drinks. Well, it's a bloody good job I kicked off, isn't it? Now, they're refunding everyone. In a statement, after the incident, a spokesperson for Weatherspoons said, This slows down service for the pub's customers. It is also contrary to the company's responsible drinking policy, which is designed to promote the statutory licensing objectives, an important part of the pub licensing system. As a matter of common sense, it is undesirable for customers to build up a large number of drinks on their table at any one time. The customer was informed that there was too much alcohol being ordered to his table and the pub would not fulfill any other orders. We understand at this stage, he asked his followers to send drinks to other tables. Refunds could not be processed on the day are currently being processed for the food and drink not delivered. We are working through the refunds as quickly as we can but due to the volume, there may be some delay. McDonald's finds buyer for Russian restaurants as it prepares to leave after 30 years. McDonald's has begun the process of selling its restaurants in Russia after more than 30 years in the country. The Chicago burger giant said Alexander Gover, who operates 25 restaurants in Siberia, has agreed to buy McDonald's 850 Russian restaurants and operate them under a new name. McDonald's did not disclose the sale price. The company said on Monday that it would leave Russia after its invasion of Ukraine. The sale agreement is subject to regulatory approval and is expected to close within a few weeks, McDonald's said. Mr Gover, a licensee since 2015 has also agreed to retain McDonald's 62,000 Russian employees for at least two years on equivalent terms. He also agreed to pay the salaries of McDonald's corporate employees until the sale closes. Putin facing a coup after his closest allies accept they've lost the war. Vladimir Putin's top security officials think the war in Ukraine is lost making the chances of a coup more likely, an analyst in Moscow says. The chances of the Russian tyrant launching a nuclear strike are receding as it is likely people would refuse to carry out his order. That's according to expert and investigative journalist Christo Grozev, who suggests Putin is losing his grip on power. He says leading officials are unlikely to obey Putin's commands to launch nukes as they don't trust he will still be in power in three months' time. I think that it is the informed elite within the security forces who understand that the war is lost, Grozev told Radio Liberty. He said Putin's inner circle understand the president would need a full mass mobilisation to win the war, but this would cause a social explosion in Russia. Some hardliners may pressure for use of nuclear or chemical weapons, Grozev warned. But others will say enough is enough and it is better not to waste another 10,000 lives of our soldiers and officers. Grozev, lead Russia investigator for investigative journalist group Bellingcat, said one or more of the five hands needed to launch Russia's nukes could end up defying Putin. And this refusal will be the trigger, most likely, a coup d'état, because after the refusal to comply with the order of the king, everything will go down very quickly, he added. If Putin decides to give an order to use nuclear weapons, he must be sure that everyone along the chain will carry out this order. If one person does not comply, Grozev says this will be a signal of insubordination which could lead to the death of Putin. So until he is sure that everyone will comply, he will not give this order," he added. It is known that Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu and Chief of the Defense Staff Vela Eja Asimov would both need to sanction a nuclear strike. During the war, Putin has made a point of being seen in public with an official carrying the nuclear briefcase. Defense Ministry flights for Russia's elite to a supposed command and control bunker near Ufa 725 miles east of Moscow have reduced since earlier in the war, according to Grozev. The journalist said senior figures from the FSB security agency and the GRU military intelligence organization are preparing for life after Putin. He said the FSB elite knows exactly how many Russian troops have died in Ukraine and knows that the loved ones of the dead or missing do not stop asking questions. They know that this situation will eventually get out of hand, Grozev added. These are those parts of the security forces who know the dangers for the regime, and they themselves are now preparing their future. Some of them are looking for an opportunity to take their families out of Russia, all are looking for ways to transfer the accumulated money, corruption money in many cases, into dollars and euros. This is already a kind of betrayal by these people, because they do not follow the ideological orders of the Kremlin, but are preparing for an alternative reality. M&S worker sacked while off sick after being told to work weekends. A woman has won £15,000 after she was sacked from her job at Marks & Spencer while off sick. Donna Gallagher, who had worked at the company for 23 years, was asked to change her hours and work weekends in 2019. She said she couldn't change her hours because she was a carer for her disabled mother and was in discussions about this. A hearing heard how she needed time off due to depression which was caused or exacerbated by the changes to her rotor. Mrs Gallagher joined M&S as a customer assistant in 1997 at Liverpool's Bootle store before moving to the Queen's Drive shop in 2016 where she worked just under 20 hours a week. As well as this, she lived with and cared for her mother, who needed a wheelchair. After six months of back and forth during which she was signed off work, Mrs Gallagher was sacked for her prolonged absence when she told her boss she might be off sick for another month. She appealed this decision, but felt she could not return as she did not trust M&S anymore and sued the company at an employment tribunal. She has now been awarded £15,344.99 in compensation after the tribunal found she was discriminated against and there was no evidence whatsoever to show a further month absence would cause M&S any difficulty at all. The panel heard the retailer had previously accommodated her caring responsibilities as she was given a carer's passport, which helps support those who look after loved ones. In May, 2019, Mrs Gallagher was told her contract was changing, but after numerous discussions about this, no final agreement was reached. She was signed off work with reactive depression as she was very unwell and her mental health had worsened in June and July, the tribunal was told. The panel, held in Liverpool, heard she remained off sick throughout the remainder of her time at M&S. Mrs. Gallagher then lodged a grievance in July detailing how the change of hours would affect her carer role. Around this time, Mrs. Gallagher's sick pay was withheld, and she received a letter stating this was because M and S had believed her absence was not illness-related, the panel heard. This had been an error and it was rectified, but the tribunal found the basic and fundamental mistake surprising given the company's size and resources. Mrs Gallagher was later brought in for a grievance meeting with the conclusion which she later appealed of which being she would compromise her hours, the tribunal heard. In August, 2019, she had a meeting with section manager, Susan Waller, who confirmed M&S wanted to help her, but that her continued absence may lead to her sacking, the panel was told. Two occupational reports were then carried out the conclusion of one being that her absence had come as a result of the working hours and that these needed to be reviewed. The second report made in January, 2020, the month she was sacked found she was suffering from a severe level of anxiety and depression, and the panel was told she even struggled to get out of bed. During a sixth and final long-term ill-health meeting, Ms Waller asked Mrs Gallagher whether she would want to return if she had the hours she wanted to which Mrs Gallagher replied that's all I've ever asked for. The tribunal ruled in favor of Mrs Gallagher's claim for disability discrimination on account of her mental health. Employment judge Dawn Schotter concluded, I am satisfied on the balance of probabilities the substantial adverse effects experienced by Mrs Gallagher with and without antidepressant medication was likely to last at least 12 months from the 18th of July, 2019, when she first went off sick, and beyond the effective date of termination. No evidence whatsoever was produced to the tribunal to indicate that, specifically, her ongoing absence for a further month would put the company to any material difficulty, or in fact any difficulty at all. Boris Johnson, the greased piglet, has wriggled free on Partigate. I think it was David Cameron, and he should know, who gave us this invaluable insight into Boris Johnson, the thing about the greased piglet is that he manages to slip through other people's hands where mere mortals fail. It does rather seem like the greased piglet has indeed wriggled out of the grasp of his persecutors. With just a little squealing and just the one fixed penalty notice, off he scampers back to the pigsty that is his political homestead. He will not, this time, be turned into someone's bacon sandwich. The Labour Party wanted to transform him into a string of pork sausages, but perhaps for Johnson, the worst may be over. It is, frankly, astonishing. Outrageous, even. It certainly looks like multiple flagrant breaches of the law occurred because we've seen the photographs and the CCTV stills, and heard about the witness statements. Downing it street, it seems, was party central. Boris and Carrie even had a party in their own flat, as well as in the garden. The Met seem to have taken a rather lenient view of the facts. I also expect that Johnson had the benefit of the best and most expensive legal advice. The Sue Gray report will be a snicker, for sure, but judge and jury was the Metropolitan Police and their lawyers, and they've given Johnson the benefit of the doubt. Unless there's a picture of Johnson with his trousers around his ankles, passed out in a corner, he'll probably survive this. The most shameful, dispiriting. Embarrassing aspect of Partigate is that at the conclusion of this, the only people to have lost their jobs in the whole affair will be Allegra Stratton, who wasn't at any of the events as far as we know, Lord Wolfson, who quit the government in protest, former London Mayor hopeful Sean Bailey, who didn't really have anything much to give up, three hapless Downing Street scapegoats, Jack Doyle, Dan Rosenfield and Martin Reynolds, plus Keir Starmer in the unlikely event that the Durham police fine him for the much flimsier beer allegations just reflect on that glorious outcome of the workings of the British judicial system the constant tactic of buying time waiting for this waiting for that looking for other distractions to turn up such as a European war ignoring questions obfuscating slinging mud around and generally hoping for the best as the inquiry dragged on it all paid off in the end. It seems highly unlikely that Johnson will be faced with a vote of no confidence and a leadership challenge. With one squeal the piglet has struggled free, free to give the Tories a fifth successive general election victory. Or maybe not quite. The important thing to remember in all this is that Boris Johnson is the opposition party's, not just Labour's, greatest political asset. He is the bombastic bluffer who just keeps giving them the gifts of chaos and callousness that enabled Partigate in the first place. When people say the culture of Downing Street is all wrong, they never seem to consider how the bloke at the top might be setting the tone and, not, leading by example. How many new teams has he had in now, supposedly to impose discipline and reason on a man who has made indiscipline and unreason a way of life? Right now, Johnson is opposing the hugely popular windfall tax on the big energy companies, as far as can be judged, as it does seem to change from day to day. Johnson, when he was mulling which side to back in the Brexit referendum, Described himself as wobbling around like a broken shopping trolley, and it's true. He is Mr. Dither and Delay, ironically. And his greatest achievement, Brexit, is starting to look a bit of a flop. But still he survives, and his closest rivals have either blown themselves up, Rishi Sunak, or run out of momentum, Liz Truss and Jeremy Hunt. He is a lucky little greased piglet, is he? but not so lucky for his party, which is now lumbered with this proven vote loser. It might not be much good for the country in the short term, but Johnson's survival makes the continuation of conservative rule that much less likely. Johnson is so short of answers, he can no longer form complete sentences. It felt very much like the end of days an intellectually and morally bankrupt government lurching from one crisis to the next while the country is left to flatline. No one is even surprised these days when yet another Tory MP is accused of sex offences. While we don't know what the truth of these new allegations will be, the fact that there are fresh claims is no more than people have come to expect. The MP hasn't even been suspended as he would have been in any other workplace. The ongoing scandal at Westminster is one that might have proved fatally toxic for some administrations, but now has become normalised. Just wait for the next story to break. And with 56 MPs, including three cabinet ministers, being investigated for sexual misconduct, it may not be long before it does the Commons was nowhere near full for the first Prime Minister's questions of the new Parliament. Many Tories had clearly decided they were better off out of Westminster than enduring the laboured ramblings of their leader. No one could really blame them. Waiting to take his place on the front bench, Boris Johnson stood behind the Speaker's chairs while several of his parliamentary private secretaries patted him down and tried to smarten him up but Joy Morrissey had no joy. Despite her best efforts, the convict still looked a complete state. Crumpled, ill-fitting suit held together only by the stains. Tired and paste faced An unbrushed toddler haircut. Johnson can't clean up his own act, let alone his parties. With inflation rising to 9%. There was only ever going to be one subject on Keir Starmer's mind, and he duly devoted all six of his questions to the cost of living. Labour was all in favour of a windfall tax. The Tories had voted against one, even though the Chancellor had said only a few days ago that he hadn't quite made up his mind yet. Rishi Sunak needed a few more people to staff before reaching a decision. So where did Johnson stand? The convict scratched his head. Then his ass. Not the most attractive of habits. He looked puzzled. His mouth opened and a torrent of disconnected phrases poured out. Boris can no longer speak in complete sentences. Partly because he can't be bothered, but mainly because he now has no coherent answers to anything. Speech is no longer a form of communication, but more a smokescreen. That's when he's not lying, of course. Um, uh he mumbled. It was like this. Starmer didn't even know what a woman was. He seemed to think this was a killer put-down, but he didn't even get any laughs from his own MPs. It was just random, tone-deaf nonsense. Playing the culture wars card while refusing to acknowledge the genuine hardships many people were suffering was not a good look. The convict tried to change tack. The government was not, in theory, in favor of putting up taxes. Impossibly. But it definitely is in practice. Johnson and Sunak have done nothing but put up taxes since they took office. The Labour leader continued to do his own scratching, though rather more productively, as he was pawing away at the open sore of the windfall tax. A tax that almost everyone in the country thought was a good idea. A tax on which it was inevitable the Tories would be forced to reverse ferret on within a few weeks. Not that it would be called a windfall tax. That would be an admission that Labour had won the argument so it would be an excessive profit Levi. None of which helped the convict in his short-term ambition of merely getting through the next half hour. Because Johnson really didn't know what he actually wanted, other than for labor to stop bugging him and for the little people to be more grateful for what he was doing for them. Whatever that was. He couldn't remember exactly, but he was sure it would come to him in the end. His performance lapsed from the incoherent to the pathetic. Nobody could have predicted the Ukraine war, but it was our duty to suffer alongside the Ukrainian people. The Ukrainians wouldn't expect a windfall tax at such a time, and neither should we Brits. In fact, Starmer was appeasing Putin by demanding one. The labor benches just looked bewildered. As did Tory backbenchers. Even by the convict's recent standards, this was deranged. Johnson is decomposing before our eyes. Being prime minister is something beyond his shallow talents. He can no longer cope. He was only ever in it for the good times. The parties. The status. The being there. A tanking, stagflating economy and an imminent recession is beyond his compass. Starmer ended by telling the story of a man who could barely afford the costs of running the dialysis machine that kept him alive. Johnson was choosing to let people like him struggle. The commons was unusually quiet as the Labour leader spoke, and Johnson should have been humbled. Except the convict has no shame. The only pity he has is reserved strictly for himself. This was far too real for him. So he poured the air, as if to bat Starmer away. Then he went on the attack. People should just be grateful they had jobs to do as they went hungry and cold. If they wanted luxuries, why didn't they just get jobs that paid a bit more, like Rachel McLean had said? Hell, he had taken a pay cut to be Prime Minister, so how about a bit of sympathy for his suffering? And what about some applause for Crossrail? That was all down to him. It wasn't, of course. It had been Ken Livingston's idea. But hey, if the convict wants to take the credit for an infrastructure project that was years late and massively over budget, then who are we to stop him? The rest of PMQs passed in a haze of anticlimactic apathy the only highlight being Johnson insisting that no one worked well from home. He can speak for himself. Labour could only sit and wait. They could make suggestions, but there was nothing they could do to force the government to tackle the cost of living crisis. The Tories, too, could only sit and wait, though they only had their crippling indecision to blame. They knew the convict was just a hollowed-out corroded Hulk. There was no saviour rising from the streets to come to their rescue. We hope that you have enjoyed our podcast we thank you for your support. We hope to see you again next time.